walk into the room with your pencil in your hand. You see somebody naked in you. You say, who is that man? You try so hard, but you don't understand just what you will say when you get home. Because something is happening here, but you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? We're back. Let's do some science and some uh, finance in this segment. Starting with uh, a follow-up we did several years back on, uh, on a chat with UC Davis ophthalmologist Ivan Schwab, who was honored with a Ig Nobel Award an irreverent version of the Nobel Prize for his discussion of why woodpeckers don't get headaches. You know, that was a perfectly legitimate area of study and didn't think he deserved an ignoble, although he took it well and sort of, you know, had fun with it, which is good. But the current edition of New Scientist magazine reveals that they've taken this a bit further and discovered that thanks to the design of the woodpecker's uh, head, neck, beak, and shock-absorbing structures... The bird is able to tolerate decelerations of 1,200 Gs as it drums on a tree. Humans are left concussed if they experience 80 to 100 Gs. Researchers at UC Berkeley studied video and CD scans of the bird's head and neck, found artificial analogies for all the, uh, the shock-absorbing structures, and built a system that works in a similar way. To test it, they put it inside a bullet and used a large 60-millimeter air gun to fire it at a metal wall. They found the electronics ensconced in it were protected against shocks of up to 60,000 Gs. This may have applications in protecting flight recorders, and uh, the shock absorber could be used in uh, crash protections in various motorsports. So, ignoble award indeed. This is some good stuff. Some really bad stuff comes in this story that was circulating, we, we quoted a few weeks back. Some authorities were trying to claim, evidently with a straight face, that all that oil that leaked in the, into the Gulf of Mexico was just, just gone, vanished somehow. We expressed rather profound skepticism of that announcement, and indeed, February 20th, the uh, issue of the Sacramento Bee, reprints an article by Seth Bornstein, notes that, uh, well, there's huge areas of the Gulf seafloor that is oily and dead. Notes the article somewhat more accurately than previous reports. Oil from the BP spill remains stuck on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico, according to a top scientist video and slides that she says demonstrates the oil isn't degrading as hoped and has decimated life on parts of the sea floor. That report is at odds with a recent report by the BP spill compensation czar that said that nearly all will be well by 2012. In a science conference last week in Washington, D.C., University of Georgia marine scientist Samantha Joyce aired early results of her submarine dives around the BP spill. She apparently expected the oil and residue from oil-munching microbes to be gone, but it wasn't. Notes the article, Her research and that of her colleagues contrasts with other studies which show a more optimistic outlook for the health of the Gulf, saying microbes did great work munching the oil. Apparently in response, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Chief Jane Lubchenco told reporters that it's not a contradiction to say that although most of the oil is gone, there still remains oil out there. And, you know, everyone was talking about how the Gulf water is so warm that this will accelerate the breakdown. But, you know, once this stuff sinks and gets down there, the bottom of the, the ocean, 
you know, a mile or two, two miles down is pretty cold water. We'll continue to follow that story. Another story we're going to seek some help on from the authorities here at UCD is this news about the water flea. Apparently these dinky crustaceans that inhabit freshwater ponds all over the world has more genes than you and I. In fact, it's got 31,000 genes, which is more than any organism known to date. People are wondering why if it takes 23,000 genes to make a human being, it would take 31,000 to make a little microscopic water flea. Before they think about awarding an Ig Nobel Award to researchers looking into this, this is a very curious question that's going to, uh, to uh, take science in some interesting directions once we figure this out. Apparently about one-third of the Daphnia pulex's genes are new to science. We're going to follow up on that one. One science topic near and dear to our hearts in this program is the subject of life elsewhere. And if you too find that to be a thrilling topic, we've got some good news for you. Starting with the fact that uh, life is apparently crawling into rocks miles deep here on Earth, deeper than we imagined. Reporting in New Scientist magazine, it's noted that a remote expedition to the deepest layer of the Earth's oceanic crust has revealed a new ecosystem living over a kilometer down beneath our feet. This marks the first time that life has been found in the crust's deepest layers, and an analysis of this new biosphere suggests that life could exist lower still. What's kind of striking about this is that this life is found in the gabbroic layer of rock beneath our feet, which is actually below sediments, below basalt, and it's the area above the mantle. They found an area in the Atlantic Ocean where this gabbroic layer was within 70 meters of the sea floor, which made it easy to drill into. Uh, temperatures down there are 102 centigrade, by the way. And in this hot environment, uh, with a lot of pressure, they found communities of bacteria that were sparse but widespread. And apparently these organisms were quite uh, different from what was found above it. The genetic analysis of them reveals that unlike their upstairs neighbors, many of these gabbroic bugs have evolved to feed off hydrocarbons like methane and benzene, which is similar to the bacteria found in oil reservoirs and contaminated soil. This means that bacteria may have migrated down from shallower regions rather than evolving inside the crust. And if you're looking to find uh, life out in outer space, uh, the odds seem to be improving with the results of the Kepler planet hunting satellite, which identified 1,200 possible planets orbiting other stars last month. Of these new candidates, 68 of them are one and a quarter times the size of the Earth or smaller. That makes them smaller than any previously discovered planets outside the solar system. 54 of these planets are believed to be in the Goldilocks zone where liquid water could exist and thus uh, life could accompany it. We've come amazingly far in the last couple decades when, uh, when you realize that we weren't even sure there were planets out there orbiting other stars as of a generation ago, whereas now we've got hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of, of ones that are known. And based on the census being taken by the Kepler telescope, it's estimated that the Milky Way galaxy must contain 50 billion planets. That's with a B. Estimates also indicate that there would probably be 500 million, million with an M, of those planets in the Goldilocks zone, which means the odds of finding life somewhere in our galaxy here just got a lot higher. 
Of course, it's going to take another generation of instruments to be able to find uh, signatures of life on, on planets that far out. I mean, these are talking about, we're talking about very, very sensitive uh, tools the scientists are going to need to apply. But it's theoretically possible. And if it's theoretically possible, you know, sometimes we get around to actually doing it in the real world. And, you know, it's exciting times. We're going to have to talk to Matt Kaplan over at Planetary Radio about some of this. <laughs> It was let slip a few months back that NASA may be covering up the idea of sending a one-way mission out into space. As we mentioned discussing this previously, it does make a certain amount of sense to make a one-way trip to Mars, especially when you realize that the kind of radiation you may get in the journey may actually be significantly life-shortening. It's a fascinating idea. We're going to have to find somebody willing to talk about it, which presumably will not include anybody from NASA. And speaking of Mars, uh, orbiting satellites looking down at the Martian surface have noted that uh, the dunes, the sand dunes that they find near the North Pole and other areas are changing much more rapidly than anybody imagined was possible. This proves basically that Mars has weather. Research is showing that uh, during the Martian winter, the sand near the poles is coated with a blanket of dry ice, which turns into a gas in the spring and destabilizes the dunes and triggers avalanches. The new images we're getting back also provide evidence that winds in Mars's thin atmosphere, which were previously thought to be too weak to lift even a grain of uh, basalt, actually blow hard enough to fill ravines and gullies with sand in just one Martian year. One co-author of, uh, of, of this study on Mars weather said that the level of erosion in just one Mars year was really astonishing. This is a very unearthly process. All right, I want to talk about uh, obese monkeys for studying diabetes and, and, and gold uh, landing on the Earth from outer space. But uh, we're going to save those for next week's program because I want to take the last five minutes of our segment today to talk about uh, some financial chicanery. We're quite certain with teasers like gold falling from the sky and obese monkeys, you'll be tuning in next week. But in the meantime, we want to give an attaboy to Matt Taibbi, who's covering uh, this great scandal of the Wall Street meltdown and economic, uh, you know, <laughs> destruction, like few others. Current edition of Rolling Stone, March 3rd um, edition, has an article titled, Why Isn't Wall Street in Jail? I think you need to read. To quote from it, Matt Taibbi said, Nobody goes to jail. This is the mantra of the financial crisis era, one that saw virtually every major bank and financial company on Wall Street embroiled in obscene criminal scandals that impoverished millions and collectively destroyed hundreds of billions, in fact, trillions of dollars of the world's wealth. And nobody went to jail. Nobody except Bernie Madoff. The rest of them, all of them, got off. Not a single executive who ran the companies that cooked up and cashed in on phony financial boom, an industry-wide scam that involved the mass sale of mismarked, fraudulent mortgage-backed securities, has ever been convicted. Matt Taibbi explains in some detail how it is when regulators tried to do their jobs, uh, <laughs> Wall Street companies would send out someone to talk not to their boss, but to their boss's boss's boss, who would then make sure that uh, their investigations went nowhere. Just to pick one example of many excellent ones in this article, case of Lehman Brothers. Their CEO, Dick Fold, a man recently named as the worst CEO of all time by Portfolio Magazine, had found a way to uh, get himself compensation off the books. 
Lehman Brothers had to publish data showing about the financial state of the company, which is basically, as described by Matt Taibbi, a masterpiece of cynical lawyering. For example, on one page, a chart indicated that Fold had been awarded $146 million in what were called restricted stock units. Two pages later, a note in the fine print showed that the chart did not contain the real number, which it failed to mention. Exactly, actually $263 million more than the chart indicated. In fact, when they did the calculations on this, it turned out the true, the true amount of, of the compensation for this CEO was $529 million. Chris, you can see why he deserved this kind of money. Uh, he was able to engineer a way of hiding $50 billion in loans made by Lehman Brothers from the investors. But you got to say one thing about these guys. They got guts. Apparently, Fold testified before the House Government Oversight Committee and whined about how poor he was. He complained, I got no severance, no golden parachute. This is the part I like the best. When, when Representative Henry Waxman, the committee's chairman, mentioned that he thought Fold had earned more than $480 million, Fold corrected him and said he believed it was only $310 million. You have to ask the question, why isn't Wall Street in jail? The article points out that the worst these guys generally got were fines. And they got their companies to pay the fines. Taibbi closed with... Uh, you want to win elections? You bang on the jailable class. You build prisons and you fill them with people for selling dime bags and stealing CD players. But for stealing a billion dollars? For fraud that puts a million people into foreclosure? Pass. It's not a crime. Prison's too harsh. Get them to say they're sorry and move on. Oh, oh wait. Let's not even make them say they're sorry. That's too mean. Let's just give them a piece of paper with a government stamp on it, officially clearing them of the need to apologize, and make them pay a fine instead. But don't make them pay it out of their own pockets. And don't ask them to give the money back that they stole. In fact, let them profit from their collective crimes to the tune of a record $135 billion in pay and benefits last year. Wasn't that our stat on last week's program? The compensation Wall Street awarded itself last year, $135 billion with a B. Now I have to admit, I can't figure it out. Somali pirates go to jail. Wall Street pirates get a pass. Even worse... Those are the foxes still guarding the chicken coop. I got further articles I want to quote from uh, David Stockman and Robert Shear, but we're out of time. I guess the, the best summary of this in closing comes from Tom Tomorrow, whose six panels of This Modern World often managed to summarize this better than lengthy articles. A few weeks back, the cartoon featured the first panel saying, One day a very wealthy man took a very big risk. A guy in front of his computer is saying, these Nigerian email-backed securities look like a fantastic investment. Get my broker on the line. Next panel notes, sadly, things did not turn out well. Two newscasters are going, the Nigerian email-backed initiatives market has collapsed. No one could have foreseen it. Third panel, serious people agreed. Something had to be done. Two men are talking. It'd be disastrous for, for all of us if the very wealthy man were forced to suffer the consequences of his actions. Add the second man, he is too rich to fail. Fifth panel, so everyone pitched in. Three men are talking. To pay for the bailout, our town is eliminating the police and fire departments. Except for the very wealthy man. Other guys are going, I guess we've all got to tighten our belts. Obviously. Final panel. 
And the very wealthy man lived happily ever after. He's looking at a computer screen going, these herbal male enhancement-backed securities look like a fantastic investment. Get my broker on the line. Which reminds us, we got to get Dan Perkins on this show. This guy is just brilliant, week in and week out. All right, let's take a short break, and in our third and final segment, let's talk about an American tragedy from which we can learn a great deal and profit from studying. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. 